701 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It's always a tough Monday, that first day after Super Bowl. Large majority of you are hungover. You're staring into the abyss of no football for a few months. That's tough. I've got a food hangover. Jason's in a nutrition coma. (laughs) It's okay, though. We're here with you. And things roll on. There's so many sports still on the horizon. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of this program appropriately brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. <laughs> Who had some primetimes yesterday, huh? I did. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you or... You can visit the brewery to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kin- so it's Feb- Oh, sorry. Kintech. Jeez. Sorry. <clears throat> Kintech. That's what you're waiting for. It's February 12th. It's the week of Valentine's Day. I just wanted to throw that out to the listeners, just as a reminder. If you've forgotten, right. figure something out. Now, you want to give them the other big news about Valentine's Day? Shocking news from the Halford and Bruff show last week. Mm-hmm. A tradition dies. Yeah. The Jason Bruff Valentine's Day tribute is no longer. Shed a solitary you got, you tear gotta know when, You, you got to know when to shut it down. The craziest know? part of all this is I didn't even know ahead of time that you were shutting it down. Mm-hmm. I found out, just like all of you in listener land, yeah. that the show was no longer. You're like a player that got traded and found out on Twitter. He just came into my room. Like, I had to go into his office. He's like, you're gone. Like, All right. With so many He's more of our listeners, I think it's been estimated that half our listeners are listening on the podcast, and we can't have the songs on the podcast. Correct. So. But that's and also, no, it's not. the It's played out. It's done. We're done. Okay. You know? It hasn't been good luck. At any rate. Valentine's I'm disappointed Day. by your decision to remove it, but you know what I'm more disappointed by? What? That the Nickelodeon feed of the Super Bowl wasn't available in Canada. I'm very disappointed by that. You wanted to see that? It looked awesome. Have you never watched a Nickelodeon game before? No. Oh, yeah. They're a lot of fun. Well, we get Nickelodeon up here, like the Canadian version, but they didn't have the Super Bowl on. And I was very disappointed because it looked so... Squidward hanging out in the end zone? It's pretty fun. SpongeBob roasting Leo DiCaprio? (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Okay. uh, You know what? All due respect to a very entertaining Super Bowl. Well, the end of it anyway. Uh, we do want to focus on what happened with the Vancouver Canucks. This is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. They had a big weekend. A lot of you are weighing in, courtesy of the Dunbar Lumber text line. Before you get to the text, a reminder, we are giving away a pair of tickets for the day after Valentine's Day. So no, this does not count as a Valentine's Day gift. You can't be like, uh, baby, we're going to the game tomorrow. February 15th, we're giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks exact their revenge on Jake Wallman and his Gritty Dance and the Detroit Red Wings. Pair of tickets, uh, February 15th, Red Wings, Canucks, Rogers Arena. Best what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji in your text. Jason, what do you got? Uh, Bungalow Jim in Victoria texts in. The Canucks gained five out of eight points on this road trip so far. And while that looks decent on paper, the team's actual play has been a little concerning. Our top players have been a little bit off for a while, and we've been getting carried by the third line, Demko and Hoaglander. I wonder if they got sick at the All-Star festivities. I don't think that happened because I think this predates the All-Star game where there was a little bit of concern um, about the top-line players, and especially at five-on-five. And that's why... 
I've spent so much time praising the third line because I think it's been their salvation at five on five. Right. And frankly, too many games. And Rick Tockett has said so. He's not in those words exactly, but he's pointed out a number of times. Of course, there was comments about Petey before the All-Star break that made some waves. And then he recently made some comments about needing to get some of his top guys going. He didn't name names, but I think everyone recognized that they were Petey and JT Miller. And some people are going to push back, and fair enough if you do. They'll say, well, JT Miller just scored the overtime winner, so he's contributing. And Petey had a three-point game in Detroit, so he's contributing. But yeah, there has been that sense that those guys are just not... You know, the thing the thing with the top players, and now that Canucks fans have kind of changed their mindset to like, let's just get into the playoffs because that would be fun, to holy cow, could we actually like win the Stanley Cup this year? Your top players have to be dominant. And I think a lot of people look at guys like McDavid and what he's done for Edmonton. And I think maybe a better comparison might be Nathan McKinnon in Colorado. Like, an I, unbelievable year. I, I, I realize that's the like that's the highest bar, but you know, those are the guys who win Stanley Cups, right? And well, and and Jack Eichel, for example, the way he played for Vegas last season, um, you know, it's it's just it's like you have to be so good. You you have to dominate. You can't be losing your matchups to the Connor McMichael line, right? Like it, it is it, it it's a high bar, but let's bring the Super Bowl back into play here. Okay? Mm-hmm. Who won that game last night? I believe it was the Kansas City Chiefs. But who specifically won that game last night? Patrick Mahomes. Right? Now, sometimes you'll get a game where... McCole Hardman. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the greatest player on the field doesn't win. Right? But more often than not, it's the top guys being the different make, difference makers. Right? You know, you think back to Sid scoring the golden goal in 2010... You know, the, so many games that came down to the best players being the best players. Um, and so there's this feeling, like, can Petey be that in the playoffs? Because there seems to be a bit of inconsistency. And I think the addition of, of Elias Lindholm has um, added another wrinkle to it. Because first of all, people are like, okay, how good is this guy really? Because we all remember what he did a, a couple of years ago. But we can also recognize that he hasn't been as great as he was a couple of years ago the last few seasons in Calgary. And we optimistically thought, okay, he'll come to a better team, play with better players, and he'll be much better. Now we don't know, right? And we're willing to give him an an adjustment period. And I think Rick Tockett said, you know, like it's going to take some time for him to adjust. And this is one of the reasons they made this deal before the trade deadline. So there could be some adjustments. It wasn't like the Canucks turned it around right away when, as soon as they hired Rick Tockett, Mm -hmm. for example, right? Like it, it, it takes some time. So there's plenty of time there. But the way the top six is constructed by the time the playoffs rolls around is anyone's guess. Like the lotto line could be back together by the time the playoffs rolls around. And maybe Lindholm is the two C they could have Lindholm and Petey together. Um, 
you know, I don't know who the wingers are going to be in the top six. Heck, you even have the option, really, of going like, I mean, if you wanted to, I suppose, Lindholm centering his own line. I don't know what line that would be, what, the fourth line or something? like. But when you add a player like Lindholm, number one, there's expectations that he's a difference maker, and he better be a difference maker because, you know, the Canucks added him to be a difference maker. But there's still just this – Rick Tocca constantly talks about a puzzle. And the puzzle still hasn't been solved when it comes to the top six. Yeah, but they've got some time. The nice thing, well, nice things, plural, is they've got some time to figure it out. That's one. And two, they have the depth offensively to allow, I guess isn't the right word, but I'll use it because I can't think of another one, to allow these guys to, one, figure it out, and two, have off nights. I'm dead honest. That's almost what it feels like at times that this forward group is built to allow your top guys to have off nights because they they do on occasion. The consistency that you're talking about is an issue. Tockett's brought it up. The big games, I think, is an interesting one because Tockett made a point of not calling any of his guys out by name following the Boston game, but he sure made a point of bringing up Marshawn and Pasternak. Sure made a point of it. That was very interesting that he did that. Now, wasn't it? That was the, I thought that was a smart way to do it. See how those guys did it? Those guys always seem to come up big in the games. They can't have the off nights in the playoffs, against. though. Can't have off nights in the playoffs. But, well, I, Maybe one, but that's it. Can or can't is, I mean, that's... Your depth will obviously help you, but... Well, I don't know, because can or can't is beside the point. Because the thing is, is and Russ from Poco texted in, hashtag WWO, what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. The Canucks going 2-1-1 one, one would have been an amazing road trip almost any season. <laughs> but still, it somehow seems like not enough this year. I, it's more than enough in light of the situation, time of year. Lindholm coming aboard, and other than the great debut where he got the two goals, there was going to be an inevitable adjustment period. I will say, and I'd like to reframe adversity, I think this road trip is going to end up being profoundly important for this team because it hasn't been super smooth. Mm -hmm. They've had some rough moments, but as Russ from Poco pointed out, two one and one going through Carolina, Boston, and then back-to-backs in Detroit. And Detroit's a tough team to play against for a Saturday morning game against a team you don't see that often. That Detroit game had lots of feeling. And lots of emotion and lots of energy. Mm-hmm. So to the point where don't you I'm, think that was a like a really fun hockey game? It's great. Yeah, I thought yesterday's because of the scheduling. Mm-hmm. It was funny. We'll talk to Brett Festerling about this at eight o'clock when he joins the program. He was on the call with Batch, and I was listening to them pre uh, before the Super Bowl. There were such big swings in momentum in that game. It was reflective of two teams that were kind of bagged playing on the second of a back-to-back. Neither team really held control of the game for long stretches of time, but both teams had these swings where it was like, wow, like, you know, Washington's really bringing it right now, and Demko's making a bunch of amazing saves, and then you saw a window where the Canucks would kind of play a a spurt of really good hockey and dominate. I think collectively, and when this road trip ends in Chicago, Mm -hmm. I think the Canucks will look back on it and say, that was a good bout of adversity because we came through it, not going through a three or four game losing streak, we found a way to get wins. And thank you, Connor McMichael, for helping us get that win. And that was about as egregious as a turnover as it gets. But the point is, is they, you know, manufacturing wins right now is a very good thing for this collective group because now you're getting to the point where you're saying, how are we setting ourselves up for the mm-hmm. playoffs? Are we going to be able to win games where either A, 
we're not the best team on the ice, or B, we're a tired team. These things all come up in the playoffs, right? You need to win 16 of them to win a Stanley Cup, and they come in all different shapes and sizes and ways that you win. Sometimes you're not the best team. Sometimes it's going to be one of those nights where it's a 6-5 game, and then the next night it's a 2-1 game. You have to be able to figure these things out as you move along. And for the Canucks to do it, while they're still figuring out their own house, like they're still trying to get their own house in order with Lindholm. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that he came out and said after the Washington or the Detroit game, sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm not playing very well. No, because he's not. He hasn't figured out where he fits with this team. I don't think Tockett's figured out where he fits with this team. It's still a sort of work in progress. And and that's fine. That's great. That's totally fine. That's adversity. Well, it's also just natural for any new player where a lot is expected. And this is why I'm glad that. Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin got that deal done as soon as possible. So you've got that added time because the Canucks, unless there is a tremendous collapse, are going to be playing in the playoffs this season. So you want to all get that dialed in. Uh, James from Richmond with a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Reminder, get your What We Learns in. Win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Red Wings on February 15th. James says, I'd keep the lotto line together. And then I put Lindholm with Hoaglander. I do think that there might be something more for Hoaglander moving forward because the other nice thing about this position that the Canucks are in, you do have the luxury to play around with some certain things. Mm-hmm. right? You're not in a playoff. Battle. You're not fighting tooth and nail with the Flames and the Blues for the final wild card spot. So, like, lot of line and then Lindholm with, like, McCabe and Hoaglander. Coming. I'm not sure. Like, I think McCabe's playing his way out of the top six. I think right I'm, yeah, I'm with him. Yeah, yeah. I'm with him. He's just I, not doing a lot It's right not now. great. Yeah. With the addition, with, with, not the addition, but with with the, the, the continuing um, growing of Hoaglander's game. It's hard um, to ignore. You know, it's hard Mc, to ignore. I think McCabe's getting forced out now. Um, Suter, I would say, is a better pick than McCabe in the top six. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I, I really do wonder if they're going to try and move Mikheyev, if they're going to try and upgrade their team. Because remember, they're going to have to clear the cap space somehow. Yep. And, um, you know, we had broached the idea, and I guess there were some rumors floating around about Zudorov and the Canucks possibly moving him to, to upgrade the blue line. Um, you know, I don't know where that stands right now. You know, but, but, but I don't want to talk about it because I want to talk about other options like how else would you clear cap space McKayev to me seems like the obvious one that you would try to move I just don't know how movable he is Kuzmenko I think was a much easier sell because you could go to a team like Calgary and go like it was just last year that this guy had 39 goals there's not a huge obligation yeah right beyond this like it's one year Maybe you can sell them at the deadline next year if you want. Like, you can cash this in. With McKayev, it's a little bit different. He's got two more years, plus everyone's going like, uh, is he healthy? But I want to uh, pivot off that. Is I think the move for McKayev is down the lineup. I think he's miscast as a top six forward from the get. I, I, he wasn't a top six forward in Toronto. Right? He was a bottom no, six he's, guy. He's, yeah. He's designed to be a bottom six guy. The things that he does But he's are... not even on the PK now, which well, I think is concerning. Well, okay, that's an issue. Right? But you understand my point is, like, instead of... And I'm not saying, like, don't entertain or explore the option of a trade, but maybe moving him down the lineup. Because what's the one thing that Hoaglander's done this year? He's found the back of the net. He has the finish... Yeah. At least statistically, counting stats of a top six guy. Again, that's I'll go a back. good point because the the knock on McKayev was always finish. his finish. He can't right? finish. Doesn't have great hands. 
right again, I'll go back to this. Right now, in this same amount of games, Nils Hoaglander, former healthy scratch and sort of fourth liner all season, has more goals than Anze Kopitar, John Tavares, Mark Stone, and Matthew Barzell. Like, he is finishing at a rate that, granted, it might be unsustainable because I think his shooting percentage is pretty high, but he's shown an ability to finish. Mm-hmm. I think that it's good for the team also if you are rewarding internally as opposed to let's go find a solution externally for the top six. And here's the thing. Give them a look. Give them an extended run at it. If it doesn't work, it's probably not the end of the world because you've built yourself a nice little cushion here. You know what's a totally different thing I was thinking um, over the weekend, and it's a weird feeling that I haven't felt in a while, is the feeling of being chased in the standings as opposed to doing the chasing. For so long, we've looked up at the standings, and we're like, oh, what kind of record are we going to need in order to get into the playoffs? And for most of the time, it was an unattainable record to get into the playoffs. Now you're looking at the standings, and I think we can all agree that ideally, Vegas and Edmonton meet in the first round. That would be great. Right? The two and the three in the division meet. And I think that is the most likely scenario right now. Mm-hmm. But how hot the Oilers got and the fact that Vegas, we all know, is a good team. They're the defending Stanley Cup champs. If they can stay healthy, they are perfectly capable of going on runs. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is why there's a little bit of concern from Canucks fans with just the form that the Canucks have had. It's like you really want to finish first. Right, you don't want to fall to second and have to play Vegas or Edmonton in the first round. Yeah, you want the Canucks would be underdogs. Want to finish as high the Canucks as would be underdogs in that series, and I think rightly so. Even if they had technically home ice advantage, they would be the underdogs in that series, just simply because Vegas and Edmonton have done more than them in the last few years in terms of the playoffs. I realize that the others haven't gone to the Stanley Cup final, but they might won more rounds than the Vancouver Canucks have. Um, ideally, the Canucks get a team like. St. Louis, or even Calgary. Careful what I wish for there, well, because, man, losing to the Flames would be a hell of a thing. I don't know if you're aware of this now, but the Canucks haven't exactly fared very well against the Blues this year either. Yeah, but I would take that match. I mean, I'd take it. I would take that match. I'd actually, you know what? I, yeah. Here's the thing. I think that um, they'd probably fare better mm-hmm. against the Blues and the Flames, but in a very sadistic twist way, I kind of want a Calgary first round series more because I think it would be more. Oh, it'd be awesome. It'd be more entertaining. It'd be awesome. For, yeah, yeah. I, like there, the risk would be greater because mm-hmm. there'd be like the Markstrom factor and you know Tanev getting his revenge and everything. But, but enter- Tanev, Tanev won't be there. Kuzmenko scoring the game seven overtime winner. Can you imagine? I have no. <laughs> yeah, right. Zadorov gets five in a game. I gets, mean, yeah, it would yeah. be just one of those things. to be like, yep, I'm. I, I that's. I expect. <laughs> yeah, Kuzi just did, just that's twisting just the, the thing, knife, I, right? Yeah, but, yeah. I, but and would, he gets it like because he forechecks so hard or yeah. something. Yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> turning pucks over underneath the goal line. It's like where was this? Where's this energy coming from? Yeah. Um. But but don't but don't you think that there's this sense of being chased and. Um, there's this sense of like, oh, I just really want to hold on to first place. Now, the Canucks have right now a pretty comfortable cushion. Eight-point bulge. They've got an eight-point cushion on Vegas. Vegas does have a game in hand, but, I mean, eight points. That's that's pretty good. They're 15 and, up on the Oilers. And they're 15 up on the Oilers who lost to the Kings over the weekend. Granted, the Oilers have five games in hand. Exactly. Still, yeah. 
Now, another, I think, tough matchup, although they seem to be not in the greatest of ways right now, would be the Kings in the first round, and that's a possible first-round matchup, even if the Canucks win their division. Kings have won two straight. And I'm always wary of the team with the new coach, right? Mm-hmm. The good team that you know is a good team, and they changed their coach, and they've got that energy. How many how many teams have we seen in the last, like, what, two decades that have fired the coach midseason and gone on to win the Stanley Cup? There's a bunch of them. Well, you know, Like, what is it, four or five? Yeah, and the timing of that one for the Kings was really interesting because I forgot, like, they had their break post-All-Star. So Jim Hiller, who got uh, put into the head coaching position, I think it was on February 1st, right? Because they fired... Mm-hmm. Um, they fired McClellan right before the break. He didn't make his coaching debut until February 10th. So he had a lot of time to go in and sort of, like, he wasn't just thrown behind the bench for a game. And he was obviously had worked with the cl- club for a long time, but they came out of the break, new head coach. God, you talk about new head coach bump. They shut out Edmonton for nothing on Saturday. So I, they're, they're, they're going to be an interesting one to watch moving forward. Cause they've obviously underachieved, especially in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. I know everyone was like, Oh, once they started playing some real teams and started playing more than one game a week, you knew the Kings were going to regress. I still think, regardless of that, the Kings are a very good team. And it's funny, um, David Riddick, if you look at his numbers, he's, actually, he's got a 925 save percentage. He's actually been really good for them. I don't think that's sustainable, but, I mean, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. I, don't, I think that they will not fall into that second wild card spot. I wouldn't be surprised if they push back and try and get into a run for one of the, the, the second and third spot. In the division. Yeah. I just wouldn't Maybe. be surprised. I think they've got it in them. They're a good team. I just really, I really want the Canucks to finish first. And I want that Vegas Edmonton series for multiple reasons. For two big reasons. Number one, one of those teams would be eliminated. Yeah, just get rid of them. But number two, don't you think it would be awesome hockey? Oh, yeah. Especially with the revenge factor for the Oilers and the fact that Vegas... You know, plays. I think a pretty entertaining. It would be it would be entertaining hockey. Um, okay, we're gonna go back to the football game coming up next with Mike Tanier. Um, what started out as a bit of a dog of a football game turned into a classic because of the way it ended. Patrick Mahomes once again is a Super Bowl winner and a Super Bowl MVP, and once again the San Francisco 49ers went to the Super Bowl, and lost. This time it was with Brock Purdy. In recent past, they've gone with Jimmy G, Colin Kaepernick, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Niners fans are thinking back to the glory days and going, what do we win, four with Joe Montana and one with Steve Young? And going, that's the difference right there, you know? Nobody's, Nobody's blaming Brock Purdy the last pick in the NFL draft who didn't play terribly in the Super Bowl, but they're saying like, you know, if if we had a great quarterback, then we would have won that game easily. So we'll talk about all that coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7.31 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Mike Tanier, our NFL insider, is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour two of this program is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. This is always a depressing Monday on the calendar. Not just because it's a Monday, which everyone hates. People and cats like Garfield alike. But also because it's the end of the football season. This is the longest time that we're going to go without football. It's tough. But we're going to get through it. Helping us get through it, our main man, courtesy the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline, Mike Tanier, our NFL insider, joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. I consider it bittersweet, uh, especially in my line of work, where you get a couple of days to uh, to sleep <laughs> at the end of it, and then you look at this long, long offseason in front of you, although it's not a very long offseason for an NFL writer because no. the combine, I believe, is two and a half weeks away. I was gonna, We always make this joke. We have Brady Henderson from ESPN. He's our Seahawks insider, and at the end of every season, we always bid him farewell. And then it's like, but we'll be calling you in eight days when the Seahawks inevitably make a big move. And sure enough, we do. So, yeah, there's not really that big of an offseason. But we do need to look back on the season that was uh, the modern dynasty that is the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's back-to-back Super Bowls for the first time in 19 years. And then it's three and five. Uh, The pantheon of greatness that is Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Not a great game, obviously, Mike. But curious to get your thoughts on uh, a pretty ordinary first three quarters, but then a fantastic ending. And then the win where it was Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in overtime. I'm not sure I would say it's not a great game. It was a sloppy game. It was a very mistake-filled. It was like Super Bowls when I was a kid were like that, where, right. like, you know, it was so slobber-knocker that, like, the ball's on the ground all the time, et cetera. But it was incredibly tense. You know, it was, it was, it was dramatic. It was filled with suspense. And, and, you know, going into overtime – and, you know, people are joking about, well, we're not just joking about, they're commenting about how, like, the 49ers didn't really un- understand the overtime rules. And Nicole Hardman, who di- who scored the game-winning touchdown, was not sure he had scored the game-winning touchdown. Uh, I didn't know the rules either. I was like, yeah. oh, this is how we do it now? You know, so so there's this level of, of uh, uh, you go to the overtime period, and the, uh, the, the, the um, Vinovich, the referee, says, okay, now we play a whole new game. And for a moment there, I was saying, wait, we're going to play another hour? <laughs> I mean, I might have been a little groggy at that point, but but suspenseful and, and like a fitting like next step for the evolution of what the Chiefs have done, where they were this high flying offensive team, and then they you know last year they win this sort of back and forth battle with the Eagles, and now there's this gritty team that can do it, obviously with Mahomes magic at the end, but in other ways as well. So when we had you on last week and we were previewing the Super Bowl, I brought up the Kyle Shanahan blown lead narrative because. Yes. So, I look, I, you, you got to say it, they, that's the second Super Bowl that he's been in charge where they've had a double-digit point lead and they go on to lose. How fair or unfair is this narrative and this criticism? See, this one, I'm putting it on him. Like, I, okay. 28-3, it was hard to put on him. The one five years ago, it's like, well, Garoppolo isn't, isn't making plays in the second half. You have a couple things. You go into halftime, and the Chiefs get the ball, the Niners lead 10 nothing. You go into halftime, and Kyle Shanahan does nothing to stop the clock to make an effort to get the ball back. He's kind of like, right. you know what? I'm good. I'm good with this Patrick Mahomes drive. 
I'm good with them putting points on the board with like 12 seconds left or whatever it was. And like, no, how about you try to stop the clock a little bit? Maybe you get the the ball back for your offense and you can answer with another field goal. He doesn't do that. And then there are three three and outs by the 49ers in the third quarter. One after an interception where it looks like, oh, you could put a dagger on them right now. You could make it 17 to three right now if you go down the field and score. And on those three three and outs, the 49ers offense looks nothing like the 49ers offense. I'm not sure they ran the ball once during those. Uh, they had Brock Purdy like firing the ball downfield like he was Peyton Manning in those. And I'm looking at it, it's like I've been watching this offense under Kyle Shanahan really for five years, through two Super Bowls, through like 12 playoff games or whatever. You throw short, you run the ball, you say balance, that's what you do. And all of a sudden they're playing hero ball in the third quarter. And, of course, that gives the ball back, gives the ball back, gives the ball back. And at some point you keep giving Andy Reid these chances to say, okay, Patrick McFlips, here's how we're going to do it. And that was all on Shanahan. And I think that plays into the narrative and, and, and absolutely into the narrative that, yeah, this guy, when it comes time to like uh, navigate a big game, isn't quite up to it. What adjustments did the Chiefs make to improve the offense that looked like it had no answers in the first half? Well, there was a little bit of Mahomes just running the ball himself. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple of plays like that. I think we look at the, the big scramble that sets up the touchdown. We look at the fourth down run, certainly that's important. But there was another one there where it was just like a straight, like Cam Newton type read option, which they don't run a lot. Like, screw it, I'm going to take this ball and run for 15 yards. That sort of, uh, you know, gets the 49ers on their toes a little bit. There was a little bit more of, we're going to toss the ball to Blake Bell. We're going to toss the ball very soft over the middle of the field. Sometimes it's Kelsey, but sometimes it's these other guys. And that, again, diversifies the, the, the Chiefs' offense to the point where they can get the ball downfield and kick field goals. And that's what they're normally doing in these, getting the ball downfield and kicking field goals a couple of times, and that's what keeps them in the game. What I'll say about those adjustments is it seems like those were the third or fourth adjustments down the, ro- the road. Yeah, Early in the game, oh, we're going to try to do screen passes. That's not working. We're going to try to throw the ball deep. That's not working. Pacheco. Pacheco's not working. So, so they have to go to their next option. Hey, maybe Justin Watson can get involved. And that's the point at which, uh, you know, Andy Reid and Mahomes get enough going where it's clicking. Is there a case to be made that the Niners actually lost this game in the first half when they weren't able to take advantage of two Chiefs turnovers and really could have and maybe should have been up more than 10 points? Yes. I, I, the first half of this game, I was like, well, this is going to be a bloodbath. They're going to take a 23 nothing lead, and that's it. And they don't. And they don't take advantage of the turnovers. Uh, McCaffrey himself fumbles. Uh, there's a drive where Trent Williams, of all people, uh, you know, is, is making mistakes so the 49ers don't get, don't get the ball down the field. There's uh, a couple of times where uh, they, they put themselves in these third and long situations after a drive and one of the Moody kicks the field goal. There's a lot of times like that for the 49ers where it's like, it looks like you're moving the ball well. Stop making these silly little mistakes and you're going to take a, a lead that you're going to be able to protect. It's just strange that the guys making the, the leads are, you know, Offensive Player of the Year McCaffrey, Hall of Famer Trent Williams, Debo Samuel's not getting open a lot early. They're, they're throwing the ball to him. He's not catching it. When, when these guys are not making plays for you, you're not going to make up for that by saying, oh, uh, Ray Ray McLeod did something right, or Chris Conley or Juwan Jennings did something right. That isn't going to be enough against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, how do the 49ers go forward from here? Are they able to bring back – this current team for next season and try again? Yeah, you know what I should have done and I haven't done? I haven't looked at the whole cap situation. If I try to do that right now, I'll start stammering. <laughs> One thing we know is 
Brock Purdy is forced to play for minimum wage for another year. He's not allowed to negotiate his contract at all until after next season. So they've got a quarterback play, basically playing for free for another year. So just run it back. Keep the nucleus intact. I think they can keep the core guys intact. This is a team that had a lead in the Super Bowl. There's no need to make wholesale changes in it. And I know that uh, yeah, I was talking on another show. Right now the 49ers are the favorites to win the next Super Bowl. The reason why is the NFC is not very strong right now. I mean, the Lions look like a competitor. We all know what the Cowboys are. The Eagles are in transition. The Niners should be prohibitive favorites to reach the Super Bowl in the NFC. And if you're favorites to reach the Super Bowl, that's as good as you can be on February 13th of the of the previous season. How tough do you think it is for 49ers quarterbacks to live up to the legacy of Joe Montana and Steve Young before them, i.e. the guys that got it done? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that hangs over their heads too much. I hope that's not hanging over Brock Purdy's head right now uh, because you know these quarterbacks, him and Garoppolo, continue to get the team there. They continue to win game after game and playoff game after playoff game, you know, went healthy and get them there. So I hope that's not the case. I'm trying to, like, take a breather from all Brock Purdy takes until <laughs> this time next year. Like, I, I really don't want to continue to keep, like, like relitigating who Brock Purdy is week in and week out of this offseason when this kid's like, yeah, you know what, I, I reached the Super Bowl and was leading in the fourth quarter. We're good. He's sufficient in that respect. And I hope that that's the way the mentality stays. I, you know, I'm sure there's old-timers in bars somewhere. It's like, well, he can't hold a candle to Joe Montana. You don't have to hold a candle at Joe Montana. You have to find a way to score three more points, and I think that he can do that. I mean, the the reason that the the narrative is there, though, is because it was addressed all Super Bowl week with Kyle Shanahan kind of barking back at the game manager tag that was thrown on Purdy. Yeah. I think I think your analysis here is the right one. Is it is too early to tell? Like he's yeah. still a very young man and not that far removed from being the Mister Irrelevant pick. Like it's a lot yeah. different than if you're 28 or 29 years old and this is what you are as a finished product. But um, it was a major talking point all week. And then I don't know if anything got solved on Super Bowl Sunday because it wasn't a scintillating performance. It wasn't a terrible performance. It did kind of feel like a game manager performance. It was a game manager performance, and it was fun. I remember watching Terry Collins throw, like, six million interceptions in oh, a Super man. Bowl. I've seen bad uh, Super Bowls by, like, you know, Pro Bowl established quarterbacks go out there and lay an egg. Brock Purdy did nothing like that. But, uh, again, we, we had – you mentioned the the legacy of Montana and Steve Young. I leave you with Steve Young had to deal with Montana legacy for how many years? Yeah. How how many years was it elusive to him for you know being the backup and then coming in? So like there, there's plenty of time to worry about that sort of thing. What the 49ers and Brock Purdy have to do right now is worry about doing the same thing again next year and hoping that the results are slightly different. Uh, we're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, so Travis Kelsey goes into halftime yesterday. This is going to be the only Travis Kelsey question that's non-Taylor Swift related. He goes in to halftime with one yard on one catch and then finishes the game with more receiving yards than any other player on the football field. Uh, what adjustments did you see that they made from the first half to the second half, or was it just that when he got mad at Andy Reid, Andy Reid was like, hey, we'll throw you the football? <laughs> it might have been that, you know. Nobody bounces back from that sort of thing like Andy Reid. This is a man who had, you know, Terrell Owens screaming at him for a couple of years. Right. He, he's going to he's he's going to manage you know, Travis Kelsey screaming at him. There were a couple of just screens that they threw to Kelsey. 
Uh, and early in the game when they threw those screens, uh, the Niners the stopped them. And then later in the game, they went for eight, nine, ten yards. There was that, but then there was that crossing route to set up the field goal. And, you know, I, from an analytic standpoint, you don't like saying, well, some guys step up because that's not analytical. That's not mathematical. Guys don't step up, step up. They play hard all the time. Yet you see Mahomes and Kelsey do the Jordan and Pippen thing when it matters. You just see it. You see it happen frequently over the course of two, three, four, five years. You have to say, you know, you know what? They're the ones who are going to keep their cool and keep their heads in the situation and keep playing and not worry about one yard in the first half. And I think that's what happened. They, they kept chopping wood. They stayed within themselves, and the opportunity for that big play came late in the game. Well, now we kind of talk about the dynasty factor, and they enter the Chiefs enter that rare, rarefied air now with it's like it's the 49ers and it's the Patriots and it's the Steelers of winning a bunch of Super Bowls in short succession. And we look at it, and it's really easy to see the blueprint here, and it's have a quarterback and have a head coach, right? It's Belichick and Brady. Yeah. And then you go back to the Steelers, the great Steelers teams, and it was Chuck Noll and Terry Bradshaw. And the yeah. thing with this group now, and by this group, I guess you got to include Travis Kelsey as well, but it seems like yeah. there's so much runway ahead of them. I know Mahomes talked about this and Kelsey talked about this afterwards that this is hardly like the coronation of years of work. Like they are in a they're in a zone now where this could be four Super Bowls, five Super Bowls because they can win it in so many different ways. Like they overhauled the offense. They don't have to score 50 points a game. They you know, they moved on from Tyreek Hill, but as long as you have those key pieces yeah. in place, I mean it sounds cliché to say, but the sky really is the limit for this group, is it not? The sky really is the limit, and this feels like the, the Steel Curtain teams. I mean, it's a different kind of team. But that team won four Super Bowls in the course of, like, I guess, seven, eight years combined. Yeah. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened in history when I was a kid. And then Tom Brady comes along, and, and the Patriots, and they changed the whole dynamic. The, the Chiefs feel like that old dynamic where it's like you can just put this run together that's going to last, like, seven or eight years and, like, stand the test of time. But – you talk about an overhaul. They overhauled the defense almost completely. The defense is actually very young, and you can look at Kelsey as a, a, a you know as a guy who might be getting older and being long in the tooth. They had one receiver. They had one real receiver. You got Rashi Rice already rising up. You find a way to get another guy. You draft another guy. You get somebody who's disgruntled on another team, and you bring him in the way the Patriots brought in Randy Moss a couple of years ago. You're looking at a thing where you're a Super Bowl contender for another three, four years easily. And they're not, you're not just a contender, but you have an entire conference in the AFC. We have teams like the Bills, and you have teams like the Ravens saying, oh, gosh, we always have to surpass this opponent. And that's what we saw for years with the, with the Patriots. Like, oh, God, we have to face Brady. These teams come in with the yips. It's already in their head, and they don't play as well as they could. You could be looking at that scenario with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, we're talking to Mike Tannier on the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline, the first call, the only call. Um, Mike, so now we're looking at the NFL offseason. Um, is the main storyline or the first thing that comes to your mind what the Chicago Bears are going to do with the first overall pick? Or is there something else that you've got in mind? Well, you know what? At my at my new Substack, the Two Deep Zone, in a couple of days I'll be launching my NFL offseason nonsense index. <laughs> and by nonsense, I mean the stories we're going to talk too much about, even if they're important. Justin Fields is certainly on that list. I anticipate that he's going to get traded. Also high on that list would be Kirk Cousins and his status. Uh, he is a free agent, obviously, and, uh, and the Vikings may re-sign him. But, of course, they could have re-signed him three months ago, four months ago, five months ago if they chose to. He's going to free agency, and that's going to be interesting. So 
there's a lot of stories like that. I just start to wonder, like, is Justin Fields really going to help a team next year? I don't know. Is Kirk Cousins going to do anything for any other team? But, hey, you're the third wild card. Okay, congratulations. I don't know. There's a lot of other things going on, and it's going to start with a free agency period where there are a lot of interesting guys out there. There are pass rushers like Josh Allen of the Jaguars, like Bryce Huff. There are wide receivers like T. Higgins out there. There is, of course, Cousins. There's defenders like Chris Jones, who I don't think is coming back to the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think they can afford him. There's a lot of guys out there in free agency who a team can grab, a team like the Lions or the Texans or the Packers can grab and suddenly say, hey, you know what, pay attention to us as a Super Bowl favorite as well. Uh, you mentioned your Substack Two Deep Zone. Let our listeners know what it's all about, where they can find it in light of uh, the messenger no longer existing. Yes, the messenger no longer exists. And if you're somebody, and I get a lot of you listeners have followed me when I was at Football Outsiders or when I wrote for the New York Times or when I wrote for the Ble- for Bleacher Report, and you've gotten used to that kind of coverage that I do, I'm telling some jokes and I'm putting some stats at you, you're going to find that now at the Two Deep Zone MikeTenier.substack.com. Come as a free subscriber for the first couple of weeks. You'll get just about everything I do. You'll still get some stuff along the way. Consider becoming a paid subscriber as well. You're supporting great writing and great journalism. And again, it's MikeTenier.substack.com. It's called the Two Deep Zone. Come check it out. Uh, well, Mike, on behalf of Jason and everybody here, uh, we love having you on the show. You're the best at what you do. I know it was a super tumultuous year professionally, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Best of luck with everything. I know you're going to land on your feet. And on behalf of me and Jason and the dogs and all our listeners, uh, thanks for another great year of NFL coverage. I'd say farewell for now, but I know we're probably going to be calling you in like 10 days' time when something huge breaks. Absolutely. Thank you very much for everything you did for me during this season. Take care. Enjoy the offseason. And- We'll probably talk again next Monday. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, bud. Bye-bye now. Uh, that's Mike Tanier, our NFL insider. Check him out uh, on Twitter at M-I-K-E-T-A-N-I-E-R. And uh, subscribe to his Substack. He is honestly one of the best NFL uh, insiders and NFL analysts that we have going. Love having him on the show and love having him on the show all year. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers have opened as the favorites to win next year's Super Bowl. So if you're a hurting Niners fans, and I, I know there's a lot of Niners fans in this city. The Super Bowl party I was at, there were a couple of like, like the Niners are my team guys. And I was actually a little bit surprised how many people were just cheering for the Niners overall because I thought there would be, you know, a handful of Seahawks fans there that would be cheering specifically against the Niners as I was. I felt bad for my friends who are 49ers fans, but... As a Seahawks fan, I felt good that the Niners lost again because this is something to hold over this franchise now. Mm. They have not won a Super Bowl since the 1994 season, and they've been to three Super Bowls since that one. And I want to throw out that in in a world of unfair analysis and narratives, Jason comparing Brock Purdy to the glory years of Montana and then Steve Young and then me – saying that uh, you know Kyle Shanahan has a penchant for blowing big leads in the Super Bowl. Like, it's not fair, but it's reality. Yeah. I mean, and, and Mike, thankfully, Mike kind of said, yeah, you, there actually is some merit to the Shanahan thing in yesterday's game because they didn't like the play calling in the second half. But look, mm-hmm. you, at a certain point, you are what you are, either as an organization or a player as a coach. And what you're saying about uh, the lineage of quarterbacks since 
the glory days of the Hall of Famers. It's hard to go from one Hall of Famer, Joe Montana, to another, right. Steve Young, to then a, a litany of just sort of other guys. Yeah, some right? of them who were fine. Yeah. and Even and good. You want to take another step. Don't get it twisted. I think a lot of the um, the coronation, the premature coronation of Colin Kaepernick, because remember, Colin Kaepernick was the next great thing for a long time in San mm. Francisco. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was playing for the San Francisco 49ers. And there was a lot of on-screen graphics that went, well, here's Montana, here's Young. And then it had, like, the shadow with the question mark. It's like, who's it going to be? And then the great unveil would be that it's Kaepernick, right? And I, I think uh, probably unfortunately for Brock Purdy is there's two things that he's got working against him is following in that lineage of great quarterbacks that won Super Bowls. And also, who's the other very famous late-round obscure quarterback that rose to prevalence early in his career. It's Tom Brady. That's not fair to Brock Purdy. Mm -hmm. Brock Purdy's probably not going to be Steve Young, Joe Montana, or Tom Brady. That's probably a fair assessment. That was the last guy I picked in the draft. I picked a kicker before me. I'm still kind of just happy to be here, right? That's it. Yeah, he's done a a terrific job, but um, it's almost like when the expectations are heightened – then sometimes the expectations and the comparisons become unfair because at the end of the day, all Niners fans want is another Super Bowl win. Mm -hmm. So they're like, how can we get there? Is this guy good enough to get it done? Because we keep losing to this Mahomes fellow that always seems to pull it out in the end, right? Like Mm -hmm. he, he just makes plays and you just know that when he's playing well, or when the game is on the line, even if he's not playing well. That's the thing with great players. Even when he's not playing well, um, you just know that if you give him that last chance, there's a really good chance that he's going to win the game. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. Uh, You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Brett Festerling, color guy with Batch on the call for both Canucks games this past weekend in Detroit and Washington. He's going to join us next. Um, I've got a question for Brett. Where does Elias Lindholm best fit on this hockey team? You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.